Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I am here with my co-host, Matt Scott. What's going on, everyone? <laughs> and talk about an interesting question, which is, what is overlanding? Yeah, what what is actually overlanding? And I think that now more than ever, it is appropriate to talk about it. When we first started defining that back in 2006 and 2007, we spent a lot of time polling the overlanders of the day, the people who had driven around the world and the people who had cross continents and done major expeditions to get their insights into what overlanding meant to them. And from that, we curated our own uh, definition from that. And I think it's most important to say two things before we even get started. First off, I do not protest to know the answer completely to this question. And even though I have experience, I do not, I do not position myself as having all of the experience necessary to define this. This is as a result of lots of conversations with lots of individuals. This is not a a definition that I'm coming up to on my own or as Matt coming up to on his own. I mean, I have one. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to hear Matt's in just a minute. (laughs) But I think that if we start from that position of, of knowledge, of trying to gain and understand knowledge, that's where we were uh, when Jonathan Hansen and Graham Jackson and myself worked together to create uh, the definition that we had to overlandjournal.com for what is overlanding. And as a result of that effort, it's it's certainly the most popular page on the interwebs about the answer to that question. Uh, we're Again, we're not saying that we're the only definition, but the important thing is to recognize uh, the two things, which is overlanding is growing rapidly and it's changing rapidly, which means that in my mind, the definition does not change. The description of it may change. How people describe their activity of overlanding may change. Uh, so that's the first thing I think is that the definition doesn't really change. It doesn't get gentrified. It doesn't get reduced to something elemental just to appeal to a larger audience. The definition is what the definition is, just like any other word or any other saying. And there are definitions, and that's important to have because it gives us something to work from. And it's also important for me, at least personally, to to come at this from a real place of humility, recognizing that I only know a fraction of what I want to know about the subject. So what we're going to talk about today is all of the information that we've gathered and also some things that can influence the way that people define it. So just from the start, I want to make sure that any cognitive biases that I may have are certainly laid out on the table Uh, by me traveling around the world and crossing continents and doing it for months or years at a time that can influence my view of the definition of overlanding. And maybe I make it sound too difficult or even unfortunately, if it comes across this way as elitist, which is not my goal, but what I want to do is try to find a balance between the two and questions that we can ask ourselves to define if we are actually overlanding, because it's okay to say that, Hey, we're just camping or it's okay to say we're just four wheeling. So We're going to kind of come at it from that perspective. Um, When you look at just the general definition of overlanding or overland, it was used by the Australians a long time ago before there was even cars. Overlander 4x4 magazine going back to, (laughs) man, the 70s, I want to say. That's right. Yeah. So those things have been around a long time. And the Australians called called it overland because they were going overland with their cattle. And that was really where the term took on some general use. And it's been used in many forms 
since then. But we do need to understand those, those biases that can come into play, which means that we need to always assess the level of skills and the level of experience of the messenger. And Matt's going to talk about that a little bit when it comes to the industry, but I'm going to talk about that specifically. If you read an article about what is overlanding, or you listen to someone talk about what is overlanding, first ask, what is their experience? Have they genuinely done long distance, multi-month or multi-year travel? I think that that's so important because when I, when I look at what is overlanding and I have this conversation, I mean, it is, it is the kind of conversation that most overland travelers end up getting to after 4.25 beers. (laughs) But what I've noticed is that people who have traveled internationally in vehicles often come to the same conclusion as to what overlanding is a lot sooner than people who have not extensively traveled internationally with vehicles. When I have conversations with Dan Greck or Brian Dorr or any of these guys that are my friends and we're hanging out and we're just chatting, you know, the conversation lasts about five minutes. We move on and we say overlanding is travel. Yeah. Um, And I think that if you haven't really experienced that international travel community, it, it may just mean something drastically different to you. It's so it's, it's such a subjective and internal definition, right? Because it's cool right now. Overlanding is cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you see some like random French couple that's driving in a Citroen Ducheveau or something down the Pan American highway. And then again, this is where it separates. Like I'm, I'm going to look at that and be like, Oh man, look at that overland traveler. Look at that person traveling. Look at, right. look at that. Where somebody here. Uh, maybe in the United States, like maybe the, 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 a, a newer overlander that hasn't had the the experience of traveling overseas might just not even recognize that as an overlander right. because they're not in a Tacoma. It doesn't have big tires, doesn't have suspension. It doesn't have this. And I think that it's important to recognize that overlanding is an activity. Um, it is something that you do. It isn't something that you build. Right. The, the vehicle or, act- own. Yeah. Or, or own, like, Everything that makes me an overlander and everything that makes Scott an overlander, I mean, can't be purchased. Like it, the vehicles we drive. They literally don't matter. That, it, it, I, like, <laughs> they don't I, matter. Like, I, I mean, I love vehicles and, and, and I'm a vehicle enthusiast, but the vehicle enthusiast side of me is different than the overlander side of me. The overlander wants to travel. The overlander wants to experience cultures. The overlander, you know, wants to see the world. And I, and I, maybe I just don't know what that portion of me that wants to lift the truck and do all of these uh, modifications to them. Is that overlanding? I, I don't, I don't know if that is even the essential part of it. I don't know if that is the defining characteristic. It's the Jeep wave of overlanding, right? It's the, I mean, I recognize that within myself when I first started, when I had traveled less, I tended to do more vehicle modifications. So my vehicles were far more modified and far more complex when I had not traveled a lot, because I think I was planning for the eventualities that I didn't know would or wouldn't exist. So I think I, I over-prepared it like the boy scout would do. And also there's a, there's a degree of, of being honest with ourselves of like, sometimes the vehicle is our Jeep wave. It's, it's the, like, I've got a snorkel and I've got this and that, that defines me as an overlander. And I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. As long as, as long as people are honest about it, we've talked a lot about on this podcast of, of um, needs versus wants. Matt's really good about reminding us of that. And I think if you just say, you know, I really want something that looks this cool yeah. and and I don't actually have a lot of time to travel yet because I'm right in the middle of a startup and 
I'll be lucky if I get a go for a weekend. I respect that because the person's being really honest. Where we start to get concerned is where someone goes to the local campground for a night and they say that they're overlanding. Just say, I'm going car camping yeah. with my family. And like I go camping in, Pre- in the Prescott National Forest all the time. And I would never call it overlanding. I'm just like, I'm excited to go camping. I'm going to go car camping this weekend. I'm going to set up a tent. I'm going to make a fire. I'm going to make some s'mores and I'm just going to call it what it is. If I go out, if I go out driving a technical trail for the day, I don't say that I'm overlanding. I say that I'm four wheeling just because that's actually what I'm doing. It may be in my overland vehicle that I'm doing that, but I think it's just really important to kind of call it, call it what it is. Exactly. And you just hit on something. You can have an overland vehicle. You can have your North American spec Defender 110 that is the iconic. You can have the the Tacoma that is the practical. Whatever you drive, it doesn't actually matter, right? Like you can go car camping out of an overland vehicle. You can go road tripping out of an overland vehicle. You can go rock crawling out of an overland vehicle in some regards. You can go four wheeling out of an overland vehicle. Just because you're driving something with a roof rack and a snorkel and a tent that may have overland modifications to it doesn't mean what you're doing has to be called that. Right. I, I I think that that's just an important thing. Like, I don't know how many overland influencers that I'm, that I'm friends with that. Yeah. They haven't even left the country and they're scared to like, they won't go to Mexico with me. And I'm telling people, Hey man, I will take you to Baja. Let's get your toes wet. Let's do something. And, and I actually, I, I have to say, what is the validity of calling yourself an overlander? If you're not interested in travel, I think that's where I was going with that is, is if the goal for you isn't travel, if the goal for you is conquering specific trails, if you're an overlander, I think it, it is travel, right? Yep, it really is. And, and that was kind of the, the definition that we came to Jonathan did and, and Graham Jackson and, and myself uh, over, yeah, I mean, over let's a just, decade. Let's just read that. Ago. So two definitions, one in the same, right? So the simple definition is vehicle dependent adventure travel. That's, that's so simple. It's broad enough, but it's specific enough. The thorough definition is vehicle supported, self-reliant adventure travel, typically exploring remote locations and interacting with other cultures, culture. That is a big part of it. It really, it really is. And I think that either definition is okay. The one that is a little more thorough, I think helps provide some additional context. And that's where the concern around saying something like vehicle dependent travel and make that just be a definition. I think that can be descriptive, but it's actually not a definition because it can't be used outside of context. So like, for example, I've been saying vehicle dependent travel since 2009, but I would never use it as a way to purely define overlanding in and of itself because it needs to be within the context of overlanding. So that's why I like to say vehicle dependent adventure travel, because if it's just vehicle dependent travel, maybe you're Maybe you're just doing a road trip to go see your grandma. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you which think you about it, you should be doing as soon as this is all over and you <laughs> tested negative. Sorry, that's, <laughs> that's right. right. Yeah, negative. totally. Yeah, but I, there's nothing wrong with a road trip, but call it a road trip. So I think that it's really important to have context and to make the definition as thorough as possible. But what the definition that we tend to use and we've used since 2009 is vehicle dependent 
or vehicle supported adventure travel. And I think that that works. It's worked well for us and our listeners. We would love your feedback. If you feel it needs to be something different, we would love to continue to evaluate and incorporate that quorum of travelers. But in our conversations with Dan Grek and, and with Graham Bell and, and Tom Shepard and Chris Scott and all these luminaries of the industry, that was kind of what we came to as the, the most efficient definition of overlanding, which I think kind of leads to a couple questions. And Matt and I talked about this and we kind of worked it out because some of the things are, well, now that I know the definition, how do I know that I'm actually still, how do I know that I'm actually overlanding? I think it's kind of helpful to ask the right questions. So the first question would be, am I traveling remote? Which means am I getting days away potentially by vehicle where the consequences of the vehicle stopping working or if you get stuck and you need to walk out, you actually are starting to get remote. You're not within, you you don't have cell phone coverage and you can't see. Yeah. Like there's a big difference between, you know, the skeleton coast where we were about a month or two ago and Moab, like Moab is a town that is in the middle of nowhere, but it, it is a town. There are services there. I mean, like hell's revenge is not overlanding guys. But you can from Moab, you can start heading towards Canyonlands and you oh, can yeah. get you can get super remote. Lockhart Basin comes to mind as as Beautiful one. Trail. And you can get days away from help. And yeah, in that San case, San Rafael Swell is like Moab, but without without people. people. Yeah. So in that case, in my mind, you're absolutely overlanding. So the next question is, am I experiencing a culture unique from my own? So now each one of these questions can be independent. So that means you may not be remote but you're in another country and you're experiencing a new culture. If you're experiencing a new culture and you're traveling by vehicle, then I would say that qualifies as overlanding. What do you think on that, Matt? It's an integral part of it to me. I mean, I travel overland for culture and for food. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I love going to really remote places, but I kind of like to connect taco shops by the most rugged ways possible <laughs> in Baja. That's the way to do it. Totally. That's absolutely the way to do it. Uh, and the next question, question number three, am I visiting an underexplored or underdocumented region? And that's a cool way to incorporate overlanding into your local area um, where like a great example of this are the guys that have done a lot of the traveling in Vermont. Uh, it's really hard to get remote in Vermont. It's really hard to experience a new culture, but you can find a new trail that connects two villages together and you can do research and you can go to the library and you can patch these trails together to create something that is a genuine journey of new experiences and is underexplored or maybe underdocumented. Uh, and that's a way to also incorporate overlanding into an area that's more local. And then the next question is, the last one, number four is, am I traveling self-supported in unfamiliar territories for multiple days weeks, months, or years. So for example, you may not be remote at all. You may be traveling for 10 years with your family, but you're traveling in that Dushavo. So you don't really leave an asphalt road for yeah. the most part, uh, but you've been traveling around the world for years. So you, you've added the element of time and you've added the element of unfamiliarity and you're fully self-supported. Um, so that starts to also qualify for the definition of overlanding. So we'll post these, of course, in the show notes, but those are great ways to say, am I overlanding on this trip? Can I answer any one of these questions as a definitive yes? Then most likely you are. And again, we're framing this in a helpful way. We're not trying to say that we know it all because uh, I do not know it all. I know only a fraction of what I hope to know, but 
these are some ideas that help frame the concept of am I actually overlanding? Yeah, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's almost similar to the the difference between a vacation and traveling. Yeah. Travel to me is is more in depth. It's more meaningful. It's more of a a quest, more of a search. Vacation to me is um Margaritas on the beach. Margaritas on the beach. And there's which nothing can wrong. Can also be overlanding. No, <laughs> yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. Is that it's hard to really tie yeah. this definition down because it it is it is designed to be inclusive and right. and travelers are very accepting people. So nobody nobody wants to really go to somebody's face and say you're not an overlander. Yeah, you know, and then the ensuing brawl begins, but yeah. And I, and I, I guess really important. We don't want anybody to take that away from this conversation. It's literally just a conversation that helps provide some framework. I remember when I first started traveling by vehicle, I would call things that I was doing expeditions. And in hindsight, I realized I was completely incorrect. I came from a place of ignorance. I came from a place of, of not having done really long, really remote travel to know the difference. So that is one of the definitions that I that we will cover today, which is uh, vehicle dependent expedition. Now, take all of the pieces of overlanding and then add a purpose to it. Or when Tom Shepard was the first to cross the Sahara, um, those are expeditions. These are firsts. These are major undertakings. Yeah. This is travel with a purpose or a scientific endeavor. Um, so it's okay to not call your trip an expedition. I learned that the hard way myself. I made that mistake and called things that I did expeditions when they weren't. Um, and now I don't do that. In fact, I would say that I've probably only done two real expeditions in my whole life. Yeah. For me, calling yourself an expedition leader or calling the trip that you're doing an expedition, I mean, like that's pretty serious. Like that's supposed to carry some weight with it. You know, and when I was at, uh, the, explore the event that I, you know, try and go to every year at the Royal Geographical Society in London. I was talking with Shane Windsor. We kind of came to this idea that if it's not something that can end up in their archives, if there's no scientific report, if there's no scientific paper being published from it, if there's no academic reason for the trip, it is not a, it's not an expedition. If you, you know, exploration being the first person to cross Antarctica or whatever it, it may have been. Um, and that, Surely that ended up in the in the archives of the Royal Geographical Society or yep. some kind of university or, or or higher learning establishment. Use that as an example. Yeah. I, th- that's what that's my personal rule. If you're not proving something for the first time, or you're not doing something for the first time, or you're not doing scientific or educational research, it's probably not an expedition. And that's just okay. And and I recognize the allure of it because I made the same mistake myself. And I recognize the allure. And it, and at the time, I will say that when I when I f- did my first trip through Copper Canyon, when there was no GPS tracks, and it sure felt like an expedition yeah, to me. It felt yeah. terrifying and unfamiliar, and it felt like I was conquering the world. When in a way, I was really just conquering my own fears. And that doesn't make it an expedition, but it sure felt like it to me at the time. Yeah. And and I think the, again, the goal here isn't to be arrogant and say what you're doing is it's not what it, what you're saying it is or, or whatnot. That, that's not what it is. I, I, I think it's about properly classifying things. Yeah. So those terms have meaning. That's you right. know, I'll kind of, I'll kind of get into the overland industry right now. One, we now have an overland industry. Like that's really cool. It used to be a few guys and yep. and now it's a, now it's a thing. You have car companies that are actively recognizing it. 
But I, you know, when I see overland companies talk about overlanding at the king, of, king of the hammers, I'm like, what? Like, yeah. like, like really these you have cell is, coverage, yeah. you have cell coverage. There's, yeah. there's 2000 fifth wheel RVs within a mile of you. And this is motorsport. Yeah. I mean, king of the hammers is amazing. I think it's like, super cool. Yeah. Rock crawling is, is like the, the things that these guys are able to make their vehicles do, you know, through engineering, through design and the largest part through the skill of the driver. Like, that's cool. We're not, we're not saying that that's not, I think it's very cool. It's amazing, yeah. but it's, it's not overlanding. Yeah. Newsflash, the suspension kit that three weeks ago had, had the name rock crawler in it, but now has overland kit in it. Like, I think that consumers need to kind of demand better from some of these companies, yeah. you know, overlanding is long distance. Overlanding is about being self-sufficient. It's, it's not about putting shocks on your vehicle that have to be rebuilt in, you know, five to 10,000 miles or heim joints that have very short service intervals. You know, again, these people don't have the experience to know what overlanding is. It, it kind of goes back to that Dunning Kruger effect that, that you're talking about. Yeah. I think it's the consumer, the consumer can be part of the solution. And that is by when you call up to order that suspension, just say, Hey, I've got a couple questions for you guys. Your engineers, have they done any long distance trips? Have they traveled in the, in the vehicles loaded to gross vehicle weight? Have the vehicles been tested at gross vehicle weight, not unloaded? Have the people that are designing it, have they traveled themselves to know what some of the limitations are or considerations are around it? And if there are people in the industry that have that experience and it's really easy to find and uh, just spending a little bit of time looking at the CVs of the people who own the companies will really give you an idea of of who has the experience and and who doesn't. And I think that that's important in the same way as it's important to think about the information that you read, who's writing it, what is their experience. If the byline is Dan Greck, then you can take it to the bank. Um, if the byline is somebody who was driving tuner cars three weeks ago, you may want to question what they're saying because yeah, if you can scroll back far enough on their Instagram to, 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 to figure out when this person was a WRX enthusiast and then a three series enthusiast and then a Nevo enthusiast yeah. or whatever it may be, maybe that's not firsthand information. That's not, that's not, you know, anybody can really go read some stuff on the internet and then just, just repeat it. Yeah. Right. Like how many of these people are actually presenting firsthand information that they've really learned? I think that that's an important thing as well. Yeah. And, and starting with organizations like the Overland Expo that vet all of their trainers and the people that produce content for them, very experienced folks. We've talked a little bit about Brian Doerr and, and Dan Greck and Graham Bell and Chris Scott and Tom Shepard. Lois Price is another great example. People who have earned their stripes by actually doing it. That's where we want to, that's where we want to get our information from. And that's also what we want to challenge manufacturers in the industry to do is to produce product as a result of experience. There's a couple other words, some terms that I think add to it. Matt, why don't you kind of run us down that? Well, thing? first I'll start with four wheel drive touring. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I, I used to run a magazine in Australia. I spent a lot of time there. Overlanding in Australia means you're out of Australia. It means you're an, an overlander there. Yeah. You're sending your vehicle somewhere. You don't hear people say, I'm going to overland. I'm going to do an overlanding trip across the Canyon stock route. The term that they use there is four wheel drive touring. 
And I think it is so appropriate and so yeah. concise. And I wish, and very honest, yeah. and very honest. I wish, I wish, wish, wish more people would use it. But yeah, so off-roading, what is off-roading? Simply, it's recreational sport using a four-wheel drive. This is the local four-wheel drive trail that you're doing. This is your local club. They're going off-roading. That's great. It's fun. It's super fun. Let's go off-roading this weekend. Yeah. I love it. Car camping. You know, that can be a minivan at a yep. pic- on a picnic table at Yellowstone as much as that can be what I'm going to go do this weekend out of my overland vehicle. I'm going car camping. Why? Because I'm going an hour away. Yeah. Um, so if you're in a campground, I think, I think Jonathan is the one who said this, but if you have, a, if it has a toilet, if the campground has a toilet, you're probably not overlanding. And now that is not always true. Cause I have been in some really remote campsites with toilets, but the case is man- a factor of managing that that's that. managing the waste. Yeah, yeah. But, and again, another good example of that is in Africa there are, because there are animals that eat you there. Mm. Um, when you go to a campground, even in the middle of the Kalahari, you're, you're actually like in a fenced area and there's a, there's a little pit toilet. Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely overlanding. But it, the reason why they have a campground is so you don't get eaten during yeah. it, which I think qualifies as overlanding in and of itself if you can get eaten <laughs> i like the electric fences yeah but, uh, <laughs> yeah um so backcountry adventure you know one day or multi-day off highway trip on an adventure bike a dirt bike four-wheel drive vehicle i mean a backcountry adventure can be hiking too i guess yeah and maybe that's kind of what you're talking about with the four by four touring maybe yeah. that's a better word for that yeah. Uh, yeah maybe we'll update our our definition page to reflect that i actually like that a lot matt now we get into the expedition word. A vehicle-dependent expedition is an organized vehicle-dependent journey with a defined purpose, often geographic or scientific in nature. That's the one I'm a big stickler on is the, yeah. is the expedition word. Um, expedition vehicle, a four-wheel drive vehicle or adventure motorcycle prepared for self-reliant travel over long distances through unpredictable weather and over variable terrain. Yeah. So that's a cool thing. You can build an expedition vehicle and not go on an expedition and that's kind of fun. So you can incorporate, you can incorporate that passion or that desire for expedition travel by building a vehicle that's suitable for it. And maybe in the future you get to actually go do that and you get to maybe work with your local college. I I was thinking about the trip that we did across Greenland. We had multiple points of scientific research that occurred Uh, during that trip because we were crossing an area of the world that scientists just simply didn't have access to. So we were able to measure snow depths and we were able to measure reflection off of the surface, which shows how much contaminants are in in the surface. We took samples of the snow to determine how clean it was, uh, et cetera. We we did all of these these surveys and all of all of these tests along the way because we wanted to provide some support to scientists that would not normally be able to engage in that kind of effort. Yeah. You know, and, and I think there's also, you know, a lot of, you know, citizen science open source projects where you can actually get involved and integrate science into your trips. Um, there's a lot of need for microplastics research, for example, tree core sampling, you know, even sighting, sighting and recording where, where birds are. I mean, small things that you can be doing with, uh, you know, a little bit of research to kind of be giving back. Yeah. And it does start to give back. And I, and I like that a lot, Matt. I, in fact, I think Laura, she's done some of that, right? Yeah. 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 A lot of, um, when we did some fairly remote stuff in Australia, she did a lot of, I'm going to call it bird stuff. That's what I call it. So <laughs> I don't know. If I don't know how to say it more, yeah. but she likes birds. She's a, uh, she's a, 
they call it a bird peeper. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, we, we've seen some really, really remote stuff with uh, with the birds and it's cool. I don't know. It, it just it just adds something. I think to it does. It, it starts you know, to it, feel it, bigger. I, I think. Uh, let me ask you this. I mean, it overlanding doesn't probably give you the same butterflies in the stomach that it used to. I mean, there's a lot of places that you've been. There's a lot of places that you've seen. You've seen more than I have, but you know, for me, cause I'm going to kind of summarize in my way and then Matt will add his concluding thoughts. But if you are on a vehicle supported or vehicle dependent adventure trip, then you are most likely overlanding. Maybe ask some of those questions as a way to add some depth to that experience. Um, if you use overlanding and it doesn't meet any of those definitions or any of those questions, I do not want anybody to think that I'm taking away that joy or that experience from you, or even that definition from you. Uh, you can apply it as you need to. I just feel like it is important as an industry that we say, this is what the definition is so that it has meaning because Otherwise, as this grows, as rapidly as it's growing, it will be adopted in ways that are not consistent with its intention. And that's the thing that we don't want. That's the reason why we're recording this podcast today is because we want for it to have meaning. We want overlanding to have some definition behind it. So um, that's my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, the, the term overlanding to somebody in the industry only has value because it's cool. The more you uh, exploit a term, especially in a way that it could be misleading. I, I think that the power and the value of that term goes down. So I, I think that by overusing this term, by integrating it into everything, I mean, if last week your company was like a off-road racing suspension specialist, and all of a sudden the same product is now an overland product, ask yourself if that's ethical, ask yourself if that's if that's right, have you actually developed something specific for this market? But I do think it is important to recognize what overlanding is to frequently discuss that yep. like we're doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess if, if you guys have any countering opinions or anything you'd like to say, I've had a lot of people lately that have been reaching out to me on Instagram. Yep. Um, so I'm Matt's explore on Instagram and you're now Scott.a.brady. That's me. Let, let's have a conversation about it. I um, think that that's important. Well, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate everyone's support and questions and continued comments. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and uh, send us any comments or questions through Instagram. And we will talk to you next time. See you guys.